everybody on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, welcome as always. Thank you. Happy to be here, Stephen. This episode is free for the first 15 minutes to non-members. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit restorationradionetwork.org and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you would like to purchase an individual episode, navigate to the available episode of your choice and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you will be emailed a secure download link. Restoration Radio episodes are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. If you are listening to our content on these platforms, please be sure to leave us ratings and reviews. This will help those who are searching for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our content. You can find the links to these two syndicates on our homepage. On this episode, we are going to be discussing, as usual, the acts and words of Jorge Maria Bergoglio, known to the world as Pope Francis, or Jorge, if you obey him and call him what he likes to be called. We're going to start with the big news this month, and as I, I always uh, tell His Excellency and Father, and they, they're worried that it might be a slow month, I always say, don't worry that Francis will provide. And it's been a, a busy month because he's handed us an encyclical. And despite it not being Lent, Father Chicada took it upon himself to read the whole thing. And uh, I had mentioned that it was probably incumbent upon uh, the hosts and guests of a show called Francis Watch to do such, but it seems that uh, His Excellency and I outsourced that to Father Chicada. Um, so he he bore our burdens. And Father, the Westchesters he... become the equivalent of India for that sort of work. So <laughs> indeed, indeed, um, outsourcing. Uh, oh, yeah, hope, hopefully, hopefully not with the same wages, though, Father. We'll hopefully yeah. improve on that. But. You probably make um, more in India. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, if it's not real faith if it doesn't reach into your pockets, Your Excellency. We'll, talk <laughs> about it. we'll also we'll talk get around to that one. <laughs> but we'll, let's start with what Father Chikata is calling the recyclical. Um, <laughs> Father, I, I don't expect you to, to give us the entire encyclical um, here tonight, but could you start by giving us an overall sketch what the encyclical purports to do, and what well, the the, uh, the uh, idea is that uh, Bergoglio wants to raise uh, everyone's consciousness about this so-called global warming, and so he um, wrote this uh, encyclical, which is it's forty thousand pages or forty thousand words. <laughs> It seems like 40,000 pages. It's 40,000 words long, 184 pages. And uh, I did a little bit of analysis of it for the people on Sunday uh, as regards uh, a couple of things. First of all, it's religious content. Well, there isn't much. And, and, and what you have is, is, is modernist. And it sounds funny to say that, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, strange with Bergoglio's true. Uh, there are only 12 citations to pre-Vatican II theologians, uh, 14 if you count Teilhard de Chardin, who was silenced by the Holy Office, and uh, another guy who was a Moslem. So that's your pre-Vatican II <laughs> theologians. Was he pre-Vatican II? Was he yeah. pre-Vatican II? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, 
and then it, we have quotes from the Schismatic Patriarch of Constantinople, um, and uh, uh, he tries to cobble together a theological basis for his teaching. A few statements from Genesis and Deuteronomy, but as Bishop Sanborn and I know, that this is 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 really hypocritical because modernists like Bergoglio treat these books like fairy tales anyway, and faith reflection. So um, uh, you've got that. You, he uses the modernist buzzword communion uh, throughout it. This has nothing to do with the Eucharist. This is sort of the we are the world stuff. The, the Coca-Cola people sort of from different backgrounds sort of swaying back and forth. The idea that we're in, commun- uh, in communion somehow with every beast in the universe. There are no citations to pre-Vatican II magisterial documents. Zip. Nothing. Uh, so that's its religious content. And the most of the rest of it is the, um, the social and political stuff that he genuflects to every false god in the environmentalist pantheon. I mean, he doesn't miss one of them. There's pollution, waste, recycling, water, global warming, dirty coal, air conditioning. I told the people on Sunday I felt like going and turning the air conditioning down a couple of degrees, you know, just talking about it. And there's uh, there's rainforest, there's animal treatment. He's talking about crowded cities and even wasted food. So his, his he's solution, taking care of that. Believe me, he's taking care. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about an expansion of the papal role, right? R O L L. Yeah, that's right. It's sort of excessive waste, I would say. But then, so his solution is global organizations uh, are are going to have power to regulate this environment. And they're going to solve everything. So, I mean, overall, it's it's um, uh, it's mostly this uh, lefty socialist stuff. The theology is completely made up uh, in it, and the thing is so boring. I mean, it is is. Uh, I told the people on Sunday you could sell this in our bookstore to insomniacs. Five minutes, you'd be out like a light. I mean, uh, so. Uh, that's my my overview of the uh, my overview of the encyclical, and of course, remember that. However, uh, it <coughs> uh, achieves its purpose because he has put himself now in the forefront of of uh, this this one world type of, of 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 movement, and he's gotten all sorts of good press for doing this, and. He has also tried to attach sort of a moral censure to um, uh, people who uh, who oppose it, like this is a new sin or something, you know, as if they believed in sin and as if they believed you would be punished for sin in in uh, hell and as if they believed you would have to go to confession to confess, you know, not recycling, not putting things in the correct bin. So, I mean, that's the overview. <laughs> I was I was gonna I was gonna be cheeky and ask if anyone ever confesses that in the confessional. Yeah, I don't suppose you mean violating the seal. What confession? You know, uh, let's start with that. And uh, uh, what happened to who am I to judge? I mean, in this encyclical, he he burns people who who uh, do not recycle and all of these evil, especially the the developed countries who are. You know, causing all sorts of horrors for the undeveloped countries. 
what happened to who am I to judge? You know, how can he judge the world about this stuff if he cannot judge a priest in, in his own backyard who's fooling around in an unnatural way? Uh, in a, that, how can you say anything about morality after who am I to judge? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's pure hypocrisy. You know, you could just say that back to him. Who are you to judge? So uh, that's my response and, to and that. It's, it's 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 the whole. The thing is that I mean, he uh, like at every point, he tries to uh, uh, stigmatize in the wrong sense uh, you know, people who um, uh, are, are uh, opposed to all of this nonsense or who. Uh, who, who doubt it, and, and the people who you know waste food and run the air conditioners uh, too high, and um, uh, you know I don't know kill off different species or something—they're the most <laughs> wicked things in the world, you know. And it's one thing after another, in in, in uh, you know one paragraph uh, after another. Uh, I see it as religion substitute. That these people don't believe in God, and I don't think he he believes in in God. And and uh, but it's typical of liberals to have a religion substitute, and this is a religion substitute. Uh, uh, Stephen and I did a show this week, uh, quoting Paul the Sixth back in the '60s, and his uh, address to the UN. And you see this beautiful world uh, of peace and order that they want to build upon a completely religionless base. Uh, just uh, you know, and Paul the Sixth goes on and on about it. Uh, that that you know, we're with you. We're we're with the UN. You're going to build this this wonderful world in which we're all going to live. Uh, that's the 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 nirvana, so to speak, of liberals and atheists. Uh, that, virtually all the same. Uh, they uh, that there there is a man can perfect himself and can perfect this world without grace and without the Savior. That, that he is capable of producing a perfect earth in all ways, uh, where everybody has you know the same income and everybody's happy with the same income, and and uh, that all nations have the same uh, g uh, gross national product, and and the, you know the same railroads and everything else. Uh, that, that this is the, the we can achieve this, uh, and you can see that in the mind of Paul the Sixth. And so this is really just more of the same. This is the idea that uh, it's Gaudium and Spes uh, from the council, that, that the, the church is hooked up to this quest of secularistic mankind for a perfect world. And the church is, is there with you to, to create this perfect planet, for, uh, totally devoid of religion, uh, so that m- human beings can, can have a better life. Uh, that, that's what I saw it when you know I was reading it. Uh, I didn't read all of it, but <laughs> I read yeah, some of it. <laughs> Only and, one of us should take that one on. Let me tell you. Well, it's you're, you're right. It's it's the um, you know the the religion of man and the idea of the, the church is that it's supposed to uh, animate or uh, whatever one calls the church is supposed to. Uh, animate somehow this this universal democracy, this universal uh, perfect world, and that the church has has uh, this this vague spiritual uh, contribution to make to uh, sort of push it along in the right direction. But all of that is divorced from true supernatural values. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- and I think that's why it's so irritating because it it uh, reeks of the Nazification that liberals make of their various projects. You know, it would be one thing to say, you know, it, it's not a good idea to dump radioactive waste, you know, <laughs> on your next door neighbor's backyard. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I mean, there there is a reasonable care of the environment. You know, uh, uh, the, you know, in, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, they would dump into the Detroit River <laughs> just about anything. And, you know, GM would, would make these graveyards of industrial garbage all over the Detroit area. And, you know, that, that's not a good idea. That should be regulated by law. Uh, yeah. It's the it's the fanaticism and as I said the Nazification the, these are eco Nazis yeah. and and that's what gets into all of these things is is a, a Nazification um, I don't know if you saw recently the the latest uh, Nazi anti um, Confederate flag fanaticism yeah. <laughs> you know because some nut goes into a Protestant church. And shoots up black people because you know this nut does that. Uh, therefore, how did that get transferred to the Confederate flag? <laughs> and oh, and yeah. uh, the you know what is interesting. I mean, I was pointing out to somebody: you would have to also rip down the flag of the United States from 1789 until the 13th Amendment, because. Under that flag was the Constitution, which regarded black people as only three-fifths of a person. Yeah. But and slavery was, was in full swing in all of the states. So, you know, it, there, is, but it, it, there was a Nazi frenzy in it. Uh, and that's, that's what I read into this encyclical, too, that there is a, uh, it is placed on the pedestal of, of religion, as you know, this uh, some sort of normal approach to keeping things under control with regard to pollution and other things that would really never make it to an encyclical, but only maybe to to state law uh, is yeah. is now the object of uh, you know has been turned into a god on a pedestal to whom incense is offered. Well, um, it's the, the religion substitute uh, and. Um, they, uh, the procedure is to stigmatize something as evil for people to hate. And, you know, just read 1984 that's, uh, or look at how Stalin ran his country. And uh, that's the idea, that you achieve uh, uh, solidarity and control if you're part of the, the uh, uh, elites in power by creating some sort of an enemy and mm. turning people against it. So you have the, that uh, uh, this universal echo-Nazism is, mm-hmm. uh, is the universal religion now. And so mm-hmm. they, they, it gives people who are not um, otherwise particularly uh, worried about morality to uh it gives them something to uh something to hate and something to make them feel superior everything else is is, is gone um in, and in, and in, moral too that they have a morality yeah. you see that they they which hides an awful lot of their immorality yeah. see, they they don't care about sexual immorality that that's just like bourgeois morals that they really don't care about uh it it's uh you know from another time uh, but uh, they do care about these things because it's the earth, you know. Uh, let us, you know, bend the knee. 
Uh, and um, so, yeah, I think it's a religion substitute. That, that's perhaps the most irritating part about it. Uh, and and he, he fulminates the way uh, uh, a real pope would fulminate about heresy. Uh, that, that, you know, it has that tone of condemnation in it, which is uh, very strong. Uh, and uh, so, to me, that was very irritating. And all of those, uh, whenever they do that, they they Nazify something. It uh, <laughs> makes me sick. And of course, now having destroyed the papacy after Vatican II, the or the concept of of uh, papal authority, then the so-called conservatives are saying, you know, well, what's going on? Do we have to follow this? Does this have any any moral <laughs> obligation? And so I'm reading this 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 father and uh, Dwight Longenecker. He's he's a was a convert. Oh, from being a Baptist, he became an Anglican and High Church Anglican, and then he was received at the uh, Novus Ordo Church. And he writes uh, a lot of interesting conservative um, uh, type of, of, of uh, uh, entries on his blog, and it has a number of interesting things to say. But he went after this encyclical, and he said that, well, you know, uh, we really don't have to, um, you know, we can kind of listen to it respectfully, but we really basically don't have to uh, follow it when our, it comes to our own moral lives. Mm-hmm. And and, and the, uh, they have a, uh, a place where they put up uh, comments, and so I put up a comment on it, and my comment was, well, you know, uh, it, uh, welcome to cafeteria Catholicism. You know, you can take the right or the left lane. <laughs> and he's decided to take uh, the right lane, you know, and, and he's a conservative. He doesn't like that element of it. So yeah. you're going to have another indirect effect of this where people who really aren't thinking about the uh, cause of all these problems, it's going to uh, give them, uh, because they're repelled by it, it's going to give them the wrong idea of, of the submission one should have to the Roman pontiff because they think he's the pope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, also, I noticed, uh, unless I missed it, that there was, you know, what do you do about this? <laughs> I think he mentioned turning out the lights. <laughs> Something. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? I mean, uh, get horses? <laughs> you know, uh, it's all very theoretical. Uh, it, it's uh, you know, and he talked about turning out the lights. When I was a seminarian back in the early 1970s, they would light up St. Peter's Basilica three times a year. Now they do it every single night. I mean, that's a lot of light. Oh, that thing is, is about yeah. 500 feet tall. Yeah. That's a lot of light. Now, you know, is, are we going to see those lights darkened? I mean, who's, uh, where do we start here? Uh, do we get rid of automobiles? Uh, what do we do? You know, uh, you know. Well, the, the point is, the point is just to make you feel bad about it, yeah. and uh, that, that you're doing something, uh, you know, uh, wicked by driving a decent car. And <laughs> then, so uh, the, uh, that's point number one: make you feel bad about it, the individual. And then, secondly, you have a regulation from the One World Echo government that's good, that mm-hmm. he says should have the right to impose sanctions uh, on uh, you know nations that don't do what they're supposed to do. So it's that, that's his his overarching uh, uh, practical solution is this uh, uh, this regulation. 
Yeah, so yeah, it's certain, more control. I'm certain some troublemaker will will now examine the Vatican's carbon footprint after this encyclical <laughs> and see just how well lined up uh, Francis is and, and the Vatican is with uh, with his own encyclical. Oh, I, I sure hope so. <laughs> and think of John Paul II's uh, footprint. He he has the footprint of a Sasquatch. I mean, he flew around this planet, you know, practically more than anybody. Think of all that gas that came oh, yeah. out of those engines. You know, he uh, he has a tremendous, uh, and you know, to do what and to say what. <laughs> um, and also, you know, he he really again. Uh, criticizes the developed countries. It's the developed countries that have done all the research for reducing the toxicity of emissions and and making uh, cars uh, be more efficient. Uh, all of those things come from the developed countries. The, the undeveloped countries couldn't care less about how much smoke their car puts out. Uh, but uh, in, in this country, there, there's been a, uh, I mean, just look at the, the LED light bulbs, for example, that don't use hardly any electricity. I mean, that, that comes from developed countries. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Sure, they might use more uh, of, of the uh, goods of this world, but they also develop things whereby uh, you, you would lose, use less. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, it's, he's, you can see that socialist uh, uh, class hatred and, and uh you know, instead of classes in a society, it's nations hating other nations for their wealth and for for what they have. And, uh, and uh, yeah, there's a, a political commentator uh, who writes the op-ed page for the Times, David Brooks, who uh, said that you know you read through this thing, and um, it uh, the Bergoglio makes it sound as if uh, the developed countries have basically con- uh, contributed uh, absolutely nothing to uh you know the, the the improvement of living standards in society and the world in general mm-hmm. that it, 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 that it comes in for no good uh, uh no praise or anything uh you know whatsoever and then you know the Bergoglio saying well you know that uh, we live in countries uh you know that are are full of waste and filth well I mean, speak for yourself in Argentina, where we live is pretty clean, and it's because it's a developed country. So he doesn't yes, even give you credit for that, you know. Yes, that's, uh, that's absolutely true. The uh, and also the undeveloped countries, the so-called undeveloped countries of third world, benefit and have benefited from the colonialism of Europe. And the United yeah. States, but mostly Europe. The, uh, their railroads, the their use of aircraft, and uh, all sorts of other things. Medicine. They have benefited tremendously from the colonial period. And I would even say that those countries were actually better off in their colonial period than they are now. Uh, because something of the influence of the developed country. Something that we know uh, up close, certainly, is, is from our uh, Nigerian seminarians, that, I mean, the education that they received as a result of the educational system that the, the, the British established, yes. uh, there was an excellent edu- education. And when it comes to a lot of the things um, in, in uh, 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 dealing with them and questions of knowledge of English and uh, uh, English literature and that sort of thing, uh, they know more than many Americans that I, I do, and it's because of the colonialism. So, you know, for, uh, yeah, there are problems. 
but for Bergoglio to blow it off totally, uh, the the, the uh, uh, influence of the colonializing countries uh, just shows that he is in fact a uh, leftist, um, uh, you know, class warrior. He's a Marxist. Yeah. He's just repeating Marxist catechism. That's all he's doing, and, and with little or no reference to fact or history. Uh, just these people have less and some people have more, therefore those who have more are guilty, those who have less are innocent. And uh, that's standard Karl Marx. Did you notice, by the way, way, his term, um, that he he said that we have to have an integral ecology? Integral ecology? Ecology, yeah. In other words, that, uh, and uh, I had a smile when I saw that because, you know, the, the, you talk about integral Catholicism, uh, <laughs> which, which is the idea in Europe that, you know, the, the, the church and the state and everything, that, that, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, you know, Catholic values are imposed, um, through the laws of the state or at, uh, at least reflected in it. But, uh, that went out the window with Vatican II. Now, instead, we've got an integral ecology. Yes, yes, so. it has to be enforced and and recognized by all in a, in a single ecology, like a, a single world church ecology. <laughs> the church uh, yeah. of, first church of ecology. Uh, yes, yeah, that is inter- an interesting point, is that uh, where you deny the establishment of religion, you, you demand the establishment of an integral ecology. Uh, an ideology which he detests. You know. Yes, yeah. There's another uh, ideology. One of one of the writers um, uh, talked about the um, uh, some of the the, the uh, religious points made in uh, Laudato Si, and um, uh, I, I'm not sure what his affiliation is, but he quotes this passage. Uh, from the encyclical, the universe unfolds in God, who fills it completely. Hence, there is a mystical meaning to be found in a leaf, a mountain trail, in a dewdrop, in a poor person's face. The ideal is not only to pass from the exterior to the interior and to discover the action of God in the soul, but to discover him in all things. Now, you know, that sounds goofy to us, uh, but this guy's analysis of it, he said, you know, it's mystical nature pantheism in a papal encyclical with a non deliberation theology. Absolutely. It's it's pantheism, yes. Yeah, and, and that's what you, um, uh, that's the sort of stuff uh, that you get. That's the justification uh, uh, that uh, you get where he tries to um, uh, uh, put a religious sheen on what are essentially political ideas. He also says the Bible has no place for tyrannical anthropocentrism uh, unconcerned for other creatures. Could he cite the verse for that? uh, Yeah, yeah, you know, (laughs) where? (laughs) Uh, Maybe there's a lost book. We don't know. uh, 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 The other thing that um, I thought I'd run by you, Your Excellency, is he says, uh, Bergoglio says, although it is true that we Christians have at times incorrectly interpreted the scriptures, nowadays we must forcefully reject the notion that our being created in God's image and given dominion over the earth justifies absolute domination over other creatures. 
The biblical texts are to be read in their context with an appropriate hermeneutic, recognizing that they tell us to till and keep the garden of the world, CF Genesis 2.15. Tilling refers to cultivating, plowing, or working, while keeping means caring, protecting, overseeing, and preserving. This implies a relationship of mutual responsibility between human beings and nature. So the, we should not dominate the earth. And, and yeah. So do it. No, yeah. no. So that that has been all wrong for these centuries. Uh, yeah, for you know, we're. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you really want to be taking gardening advice from Bergoglio. I, I'm not certain that he really knows. <laughs> really knows what he's well, talking about. You know, about the there. the uh, the that would eventually lead to not eating animals, and even not eating plants. If we do so, not have the right over animals and plants to you know, kill them and eat them as we will, uh, then, you know, if we have to respect all of that and we are sort of co-inhabitors of the earth with these other beings, uh, well, that that argues that. Then we would all have to starve to death. And then the animals would eat the dead bodies. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, we, are, we have dominion over the earth, including all of the plants and animals of the earth, and and of course they should be used responsibly that that's why uh, there are you know game wardens and people you know who give you licenses just to take out so many moose or something yeah. like that uh of course that's true uh but uh to make a religion out of it uh, is a whole other thing I mean, even those things were always considered penal laws that you know if you caught six trout and you only had a permit for 3 uh, if they caught you, you'd have to pay the fine. They, they were not even uh, considered to bind in conscience. The only yeah. time that uh, in moral theology where, for example, shooting too many animals would be a sin would be during the mating season, where the species would be compromised uh, in the area because the principle is that you know that the, all of those animals belong, in a sense, to everybody, and everybody should get a shot at them. <laughs> As it were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, the uh, uh, but that, that's the only time moral theologians you know speak about that. But uh, I mean that's why it is legitimate for us to sterilize animals and and practice birth control with animals and do all of those other things because they are under us and they exist for us and the whole earth exists for us uh, and uh, so it, there is no injustice to the earth by using it uh, and uh, uh, and you know, so. Uh, it, it's a very anthropocentric view, Your Excellency. I'd say radically anthropocentric. You got, you really got to get with it. Well, yeah. Every time you have a hamburger, you're pretty, you're being pretty anthropocentric. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I was looking at some of the reactions, I, I think uh, Father Chicago has done a good job of citing some of the passages that uh, have hit people. I was distracted a bit because on the National Catholic Reporter's uh, page in which it says, Francis' encyclical is a step in the right direction, those outside the church say. Uh, on, on the right, there's an ad that says, Cruise Europe's Rivers and Castles with Father Thomas Reith. And I thought to myself, <laughs> it's, I don't know how eco-friendly that is, but um, I... I uh, I thought to myself, this is something that Bishop Sanborn would really enjoy going on one of these river cruises in Germany. And in my, you know, it's in my funny more, you should say that. Yeah. <laughs> I've always admired those things. <laughs> in my more mischievous youth, 
uh, what I might have done is sponsored uh, a trip for Bishop Sanborn out there and, uh, and, and have Father Thomas Reese get a real surprise on this, uh, on this European river cruise and uh, get the correct views about the environment in uh, while they're cruising around the rivers of Germany. Um, but I think, I think uh, we've said enough on the encyclical. Uh, Father, did you say you had given a sermon that's available on SGG.org if you uh, want you to know, hear our, a bit more about um, that? The, the, uh, I gave that sermon this past Sunday, and uh, in fact, the man who normally puts it up on the Internet was taking a tour with you in Paris, I think, at that point. <laughs> so uh, that should appear this, this, uh, uh, this week sometime. It's a Sunday for the um, fourth um, uh, or it's the sermon for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, and I do speak about uh, Laudato Si. Okay, so look and, for that. And you do uh, all your tours on foot, days. right, Stephen? I I do because uh, you know I I don't want to uh, contribute to, to global warming. I guess you're. you're I was going to say you might be a crypto eco Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been embedded in the heart of the uh, the Cenovic Pontus movement as a uh, as a plant. Uh, a plant, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> we have to move on from the encyclical as much displeasure as it gave Father Chicada to read and uh, Bishop Sanborn to reflect on. Uh, we feel we've discharged our responsibility to you, listeners of Francis Watch. Uh, we have to do the encyclicals as well, and you might think of sending Father Chicada uh, a note of consolation, but make sure that you write in on some sort of recycled paper instead of using something new. <laughs> Um, we're oh, there's just on. before we stop, there's a funny story. We had somebody visiting us, a possible seminarian. He said he was in Turin, Italy, and he said there was one of these dumpsters that had five different categories of you know, where you should put each piece of garbage, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, very very neat and very very ecological. He said then the 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 truck came along to empty it, and. <laughs> It showed that nobody paid attention at all, that all the garbage was all mixed up, that they just threw it in any one of the bins and didn't care. <laughs> That's why you got to love Italy, right? you got to love Italy. <laughs> so there, there's, a, there's a little uh, you know, response to his encyclical, I guess. Somehow, somehow Your Excellency, in my dealings with Italians, I'm not that surprised they should say that uh, you would <laughs> no, you would no. relate you would relate such a thing. That's what I thought uh, when Father Chicago was mentioning about having the trash picked up and stuff, I said, Well that's easy for him to say. He lives in a country where they don't they don't uh, take strikes uh, uh for garbage. So the garbage does actually get picked up uh, in the United States Indeed. a lot of times. <laughs> so uh you might that's very US centric of you, Father Chicago, to think in that way. Um, guilty as charged. <laughs> uh so we're going to move on to something that has been a recurring theme this season on Francis Watch, which is the Synod. And I want to remind our listeners that His Excellency and Father Chikata have been speaking about what they think the Synod will reveal um, for some time ahead. I remember some episodes back that Justin had played clips of both His Excellency and Father speaking last season about what they thought uh, would, would happen in the Synod. And the news that, that is preparing us for this, not just Casper and his fight back, but the appointments that we're seeing for the people who are going to represent 
it all points in the direction that you've been talking about, Your Excellency and Father. Um, everywhere from you know whoever who's being appointed uh, by the Germans, who's being appointed by the Dutch, uh, and we, I, if if they had if listeners had not been listening to Francis Watch and heard you warning about this. Uh, and they were just reading this on their own, it's clear that something is going to happen or something is, it, at least it looks to be something quite bad on the horizon. Yes, it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I would not necessarily, um, I wouldn't make any predictions because there is a lot of opposition to it, but what is significant is they have the, these very uh, strong leftists have Bergoglio on their side. And that's what made Vatican II carry, that John XXIII and Paul VI were on the side of the liberals. And, you know, it all goes back to, to them. You know, they, they get their way. Uh, so even though there's a significant number of people who are, you know, those bishops who are opposed to this, uh, Bergoglio just might take it his way uh, and do whatever he pleases, as he did. In the in the last pre synod last October, uh, he uh, you know, published that uh, that very liberal document, even though it was just a working document. But he published it because he was disgruntled, I think, by the fact that it didn't pass. So he was going to publish it anyway. Uh, yes, you know, so he, he's very strong-minded, and and he might uh, force it. You just never know. Well, and uh, two, I mean, the way that the synod is, is set up. It doesn't have any, according to their rules, it doesn't have any inherent authority that it's um, uh, set up so that um, it says quite specifically that only the Pope has legislative authority for it. So um, while uh, the bishops can go back and forth uh, on uh, different proposals, uh, ultimately Bergoglio has to say so uh, as regards what... uh, the, the, the final document uh, will read, and that uh, that's where the, the the power lies. That uh, in the ability to do that and to, to steer things, the way that he's he's set it up already, uh, it's uh, set to um, uh, to go in his direction. Because remember, one of the things that keeps on popping up is this idea that we're taking um, uh, polls and we're asking the lay people in different parts of the world for their opinion and, uh, uh, on this moral issue or that moral issue. And we're proposing these questions, and the bishops you know, in different countries are supposed to summarize them and so on. Well, when you, you set up a dynamic like that, you're setting up, a, uh, in effect, a revolution from below. You are encouraging people to... Um, people who have crazy ideas to uh, come forward, and this this gives the crazy ideas that that members of the hierarchy have uh, quite a bit more force. So the because the type of people who respond to this this sort of agitation from below are uh, generally not the devout, but uh, the the people who have an agenda for change, and they recognize uh, what's going on. So having set that up. Um, the the uh, that's an important factor, I think, in um, uh, uh, the direction determining the direction that the uh, Senate is going to go. 
Can you tell us about some of the characters that are going to be involved here, Father? We've got a uh, a Father Schokenhof, Schokenhof, uh for the Germans, and we also have this uh, Bishop Johann Boni for the Dutch. Yeah, Schokenhof Boni I had heard of. Um, this Schokenhof um, I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard of before. Uh, he is, uh, but this was. Um, um, Marate was the one who basically exposed him. His um, he is considered a um, you know the premier uh, theologian for the German Episcopate that has originated so many uh, so many crazy ideas, and he is considered to be a moderate uh, among the German theologians. But his stuff is perfectly loony, um, so he has a um, uh, in the um, a nice little expose that um, Rathi, uh, uh did. In effect, he um, uh, argues against the omnipotence of God. Uh, it's, uh, the notion is this. Uh, he argues that God's dialogue of love with creatures implies a limitation of God's omnipotence uh, and that God allows himself to be limited by human freedom. Uh, Shakhanov argues that uh, a uh, uh, the f- fundamental values of Christianity are freedom, truth, and love. He argues that abandoning the traditional understanding of revelation as divine instruction means that one can abandon the traditional idea that freedom and love both depend on truth. Instead, freedom and truth have to accompany each other. In the moral life, this um, the moral life is a free dialogue of love with God in which human persons freely cooperate in building up his uh his creation so it's it's uh the idea again the modernist idea of uh religion from uh religion from below arising out of the uh the the soul of the uh, the soul of the individual so uh, when you start with a principle like that, you can imagine what that's going to do to uh, any principles of morality. But this is the, this is the language that uh, this is the language that they speak now, and this is the understanding they have of, of the sources for um, doctrine and uh, Catholic moral teaching. Mm-hmm. I think it was interesting, one of the news sources we saw here were was from the Swiss um, lay people's responses, the, the sort of openness. Remember, the bishop's supposed to be listening to the lay people. And that the Swiss had actually been having debates in some of their churches about this and, and that uh, there needs to be a, a greater acceptance of divorced and remarried as well as homosexual couples. And, I, and, and we've talked about this before in previous episodes, but... Um, it just shows you, uh, Your Excellency Father, how 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 completely uh, gone they are in terms of understanding that there these are things that are condemned, uh, practices that are condemned. The church has ha- the church has done that a long time, and they're asking the church to simply change like a fashion, and that we need to come along with what the world says. And I, I just I don't understand what what religion means for these people or what the Catholic faith means for them, if it just needs to be updated to catch up with the world. It just makes no sense to me. Well, the mere idea that that people could debate fundamental moral principles 
you know, uh, uh, shows how far uh, the discourse, as it were, has is, 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 is fallen. As if you have a uh, right to uh, an, uh, an opinion on uh, these uh, these different topics. It's it's borders on absurdity. Of course you don't. Uh, you know, of course you don't. But this is what, nevertheless, is what be what's being um, encouraged by the synod process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the abandonment of the Catholic faith. That's all it is. It's pure and simple. Now, the um, uh, as as far as the maneuvering goes for the um, uh, since we last talked um, uh, Casper apparently went on the uh, offensive to defend his uh, uh, his point of view on the question of uh, the divorce and uh, remarriage and then eventually um, the uh, Vatican produced what's called the Instrumentum Laboris for the Synod which is kind of the uh, outline of things that are going to be discussed and, and um, uh, taken up at the Synod. And Raranti did another uh, excellent little expose on this. Uh, the document itself is, is uh, very, very long, and uh, there are passages in it which can be, uh, which are indeed intended uh to be ones that uh, can be used to justify the um uh giving of a community to the uh, divorce and remarriage so for instance one of the uh, uh things that set off a red flag is uh, this uh, uh particular passage in the draft that talks about the uh, divorced and remarried people um uh, that uh, well first of all they have to have a um uh, the church has to have, quote, a pastoral approach of tolerance, clemency, and indulgence to affirm that the sacraments are not a prize for those who behave well or for an elite, excluding those who are most in need. Okay, so that's that's one of Casper's ideas. And the, the way that uh, uh, this is proposed to be put into practice is, is as follows in number uh, 123 of the Instrumental Laboris. Others, for the penitential way, intend a process of clarification and of a new direction after failure experienced, so the failure of a first marriage, accompanied by a delegated presbyter. This process should lead the person concerned to an honest judgment of his proper condition, wherein also the same presbyter may reach an evaluation so as to make the use of the power to bind and loose in a way adequate to to the situation. So the the commentator rightly points out that um, this is uh, the the signal for this is that um, uh, if you have a uh, uh, marriage that is broken up, you've uh, divorced and you have remarried, you go to a uh, parish priest and uh, go through your situation with him, he helps you to discern your judgment on whether or not your first marriage was valid, and then he can, uh, he has the power to bind and loose, 
they're referring to the confessional, of course, in a way adequate to the situation. So in other words, you can get a, um, uh, in effect, uh, a uh, divorce from a confessor. And uh, he becomes a rota judge, in other words. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, it's all done on the it's all done on the QT, and uh, he is delegated to he's delegated to do that. Yes. So, so you that can means see in the parish, you know that somebody's divorced and remarried. They're going to communion, but well, they must have been to see the pastor. Yeah, and that's it. So that uh, means divorce and remarriage passes as a Catholic practice. Yeah, it passes as a Catholic practice. And the, um, you know, you you cover it up with all this sort of nonsense about, well, you know, everyone is very pained and emotionally hurt, and um, we've gone through a process of, uh, you know, discerning and invoke the Holy Ghost and, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, gone on some sort of a uh, feel-good retreat somewhere, and now we've uh, arrived at an honest judgment of our proper condition, and so we feel free to uh, uh, we feel free to get married. And then Father Chuck, who has the power to bind in the loose, says, "Okay, that's okay. Uh, I will use this power that I have to uh, say that everything is all right." So it's, it's I, I a, love the uh, term presbyter uh, that they use in there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that reminds my that reminds me, of Father Chicago. We should get that Father Chuck thing trademarked for you. Oh, that's indeed, we should. That's a that's a that's a definitely a Father Chicada character that I think uh, could 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 do well. Uh, I think Father maybe, Chuck would be a delegated presbyter. <laughs> so, but see, the thing is that if we we abstract from just exactly what this says, you've got a big long document, and the idea uh, will be at the Senate that okay, all right, the polls they beef, you know, they say no, you can't um, uh, come out in favor of um, sacraments for the divorce and remarried. And the Africans, you know, you have some conservative Africans who would do the same thing, all right? You know, they would say, forget it. So we've heard from those people already. But then you put in something like this where Bergoglio says, well, you know, we have to really do something with this situation. So maybe this is the way to uh, approach it, to maintain our unity. You know, the people like uh, uh, who propose this, like Casper, and Bonnie, we're all in favor of the indissolubility of marriage. We, uh, you know, adhere to that. We're faithful sons of the church, etc. And we see where you Poles and you Africans are coming from. But uh, nevertheless, we think we have to make some sort of an accommodation, so this would be the way to do it. So it's the nose of the camel in the tent, as they would say, that, that uh, this, this is something that... Um, would permit it, and this is what I think is going to happen, uh, that there will be different um, uh, acts of of lip service paid to the indissolubility of marriage, uh, but when you get down to it, there will be a uh, vague provision like this put in, and um, uh, even if a large number of the bishops are against it, uh, they'll realize that they have to go along with Bergoglio and and put it in because ultimately he's the uh, he's the legislator. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's, uh, yeah. It seems that they will do something uh, significant in that regard. That or or 
they might you might get half a loaf out of it anyway. Or that the uh, or the liberals might get get half a loaf, but I, I really doubt that they're going to let all of this just pass by and reiterate Catholic doctrine of marriage at, at that thing. I doubt it. Yeah. Because there's been so much that's been said about it, and I mean, the guy who brought it up was Bergoglio on that plane yes. flight. So yes. you know, he's uh, he is uh, obviously interested in uh, doing just uh, doing just something like this. Now, somebody told me that he made the comment that he doesn't like to refer to people in uh, a divorced and remarried situation as being irregular. Did you see something like that? Yes, that, yeah. yeah that, that's an irregular union. That That's something that should not be said about them. And that that uh, that tells you uh, where he's going. You know? Yes. Yeah. Well, the other thing that, that, that came up uh, is that, well, um, uh, one of the other proposals or one of the other things that found its way into one of these documents as well, that, um, okay, so uh, people divorce and remarried, and they can um, uh, live a penitential marriage and everything, provided they practice continence. In other words, a brother and sister arrangement, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, the church obviously admitted in the old days under certain circumstances, but the thing is that that is not going to fly. No. If you reduce the reconciliation uh, of uh, uh, divorced people to the sacraments to something like that, because that's they're not interested in that. No, and uh, the, the condition in the you know in pre-Vatican II church was the uh, that it had to be completely secret. Yeah, that's right. If it were well known, or you couldn't apply it, uh, there was a whole actual uh, Catholic University. Uh, um, tracked on that in many pages, yeah, like a little book right. that was yeah, written on right. it, uh, which I have, uh, and that it was—it's very explicit that that is one of the conditions, and also that they uh, take all of the necessary means to avoid the occasions of sin. That uh, uh, if they could not do that, and if they could not live chastely, then uh, they had to split up. Yeah. That's all in there. You know, it was very strict. Yeah, and you uh, had to have a proportionate reason too, right? Yes, that yeah. was yes, children or old age or or some other proportionate reason, yeah. uh, and uh, and it was considered the solution of last resort. In other words, uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, how it's uh, how it's described. So uh, it's uh, you know the idea that well you know you're you're okay together. Everybody knows you're divorced and remarried, but that's okay. Uh, we'll just tell everybody that you're living chastely, you know. Sure. Yeah, right. So, no, it's um uh, So, I I think the 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 bottom line is that we can expect something on this. Yes. Uh, uh so you 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 have um uh, uh you know, you have that and then you have the the appointment of this this uh, uh creature Bishop Bonnie from um uh, from where from Belgium or something, all the awful things that he said. I mean, all of that sends a signal, you know. And then last month, who was it? It was was the former Master General of the Dominicans, who is as old as this gay consciousness stuff. So I mean, um, the uh, y- you can tell the way things are going to go, and the 
uh, I'm not afraid of, of making predictions. His Excellency, I suppose, is much more prudent than I am. But I, I think that uh, at least on this, this divorce and remarriage, that they're going to leave an uh, opening that's wide enough to uh, uh, to drive a truck through, and that uh, this will be forced on the uh, uh, on the rest of the bishops, and Bergoglio will go with it, and it will be vague enough to uh, uh, please the real radicals. Uh, yes, that that statement by Casper was so vague. You can tell that he really, really worked on that uh, to to let slip through. Uh, a very false doctrine, uh, but it was all, um, as I said before, snake oil salesman. Uh, uh, that, that was very clear. Uh, so he had the, the uh, one of the other things is the the uh, interesting his his whole background Hegelian philosophy. Someone talked about that and put together a number of quotes from him, and mm-hmm. uh, where he says that. Um, uh, things that happen in history are theologically not mere stirrings on the surface of an eternal ground of being, not a fleeting shadow of the eternal, but the real nature of things themselves. There is no metaphysical structure of order to be disentangled from all the detail of history and salvation history. History is the ultimate framework of all reality. Uh, yeah, that, that means that there's everything is is conditioned on history. Yeah. Uh, truth and morality that that everything has its historical moment and uh, what is true in one historical period would not be true in another because it's all conditioned by its historical context so you have a a completely fluid church and fluid doctrine fluid uh, moral teaching and that's that's what they have created me, there's no point in, in citing the Denzinger or the you know the, the traditional teaching of the church against them. They don't care. This is this is the way people are thinking now, and we have to adapt the church to the way people are thinking. Yeah, that was then. Then uh, now is now. Yeah, that's the. Uh, but it's it's outrageous, you know, to to go back and actually read and see someone say such things so openly. But that shows how far things have have uh, devolved, I guess. So. Yes. Well, it wouldn't be an episode of Francis Watch if we didn't learn about some new condemnations. And uh, his His Excellency is is yearning for anathemas from the Vatican, <laughs> and and we have them. We always have them. And this month we have an anathema against parlor room Christians, uh, some some businessmen. We're also told. Uh, not to scare off God's people. This was specifically addressed to priests. That's you, Your Excellency, and Father Jakarta. Do, don't scare off God's people. Okay. And, and finally, the gem. We won't scare off God's people. <laughs> <laughs> if faith does not reach our pockets, it is not genuine. Which I suppose leaves the poor people out because they've got nothing to give. So, <laughs> Father Jakarta, why don't you start us off with the parlor room Christians? Who are those people? Oh, the parlor room Christians. Well, uh, he gives a uh, – there's a whole load of uh, different people that he um, uh, that he condemns. Uh, he uh, – and he generally does this. It's the same old thing at the um, mass at, at uh, St. Martha. People who have 
who are only concerned, he says, with their own relationship with Jesus, a closed, selfish relationship, who do not hear the cries of others. And then uh, in the same um, uh, same homily or meditation or whatever they call them, he naturally says, okay, uh, then there are the rigorists, uh, those whom Jesus rebukes, who place such heavy weights on the backs of the people. Jesus devotes a whole of the 23rd chapter of St. Matthew to them. Uh, hypocrites, he says to them, you exploit the people, and instead of responding to the cries of the people who cry out for salvation, you send them away. So, uh, uh, it, you know, you don't have to uh, have a Rosetta Stone to figure that one out. It's uh, more uh, more uh, stones, as it were, thrown at the people who are going to insist on the moral law, that these are, are rigorous and, and Pharisees and so on. So it's uh, it's another it's the usual Bergoglio theme. Mm-hmm. Yes, Frank the Crank. Frank the Crank. Yep. Uh, and the same ideas keep on surfacing in his empty head uh, day after day, and, and are put into the Saint Martha's uh, Saint Martha's homilies. Well, there's there's empty heads, Father Chicot, and there's empty pockets as well. And his quote in this uh this Saint Martha's house mass was if we took poverty out of the gospel, we wouldn't understand one bit of Jesus's message. Not one bit. And I suppose my comment on that is uh it, it's clear, you know, there isn't anything that uh, we have to take out for him to not understand anything of what our Lord is saying. Uh but uh, apparently <laughs> he probably poverty, never read it. Right. Poverty is the essential message of our Lord. <laughs> it's perfectly yeah. crazy. You know, the it's jaw drops. Him. Yeah. Smart. Redistribute everything. <laughs> right. And how can you say there's a theological basis for it? Uh, the the other line uh, he, he has is, when faith does not reach a person's pockets, it is not a genuine faith. And, the, I mean, that is so loony. Uh, in, in terms of you know like the, the definition of faith, <laughs> and uh, you know that that uh, you know unless you throw uh, uh, money into the poor box, um, you don't have uh, the faith that our Lord preached. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's so idiotic. Well, faith for them is not in a sense of dogma. Goodness knows. Yeah. Uh, so no, it's uh... by the way, speaking of faith. Uh, did you see that uh, people who manufacture weapons are not Christians? Did you see that one, too? No. I missed and he one. He said that in Turin. He went off the cuff. I mean, he went uh, off of his notes, which is always, you know that something's coming. You know, when those three <laughs> factors in him start working, the heresy, the stupidity, and the ignorance, when they start, you know, uh, revving up. And sure enough, he said that people who make weapons are not Christians. <laughs> So what about those big axes that the Swiss guards carry? Uh, you know, who made those, and do they need to be reconciled? You know, they're not even Christians. That means they're <laughs> they're not they're not even in an ecclesial community. <laughs> they're they're apostates or something. You know that because they make weapons. Well. How are people supposed to defend themselves from aggressors if they don't make weapons? 
And you know that how, who does that apply to? Does that apply to the janitor who works in the in the rifle factory <laughs> and cleans up at, at the end of the day, or you know what what is the extent of that being non-Christian? You know, people who work uh, you know, or the secretary, you know, that mails the letters. <laughs> is she a is she a non-Christian too? But what about our openness to non-Christian religions then? You know, wasn't that part of uh, Nostra Aetate, that we have to be open to non-Christian religions? So that's like a whole new ecumenical outreach is the uh, people who manufacture weapons. <laughs> Could you imagine saying anything so stupid as that? I mean, really, really stupid? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 it amazes me, uh, the, the, the stupidity of that man. He, he just, uh, uh, just, as soon as he gets going... I mean, when he goes off of his notes, I mean, just imagine what the curious—you know—they must roll their eyes around, you know, like marbles in their oh, head. Yeah. Like, what's he going to say now? <laughs> well, I've got to get us back onto our notes, Your Excellency. So I, I want to bring us back to this poverty discussion. Um, okay. He, he says he says the theology of poverty poverty is at the very center of the gospel. And this last week, His Excellency and I recorded a show, Root of the Rot, Shameless Plug in which we discussed Paul VI and his quotes, and Paul VI had this obsession about peace, 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 and he was using it as this uh, stick to bring in these other people and say, well, we're all about peace. And I think we're using, seeing the same tactic in a disciple of Paul VI in Bergoglio, uh, poverty, poverty, poverty. And I asked His Excellency to give us the proper Christian context of peace in relation to the gospel message. So I'm going to put that to you again, Your Excellency, he says that poverty is at the center of the gospel. If you took poverty out of the gospel, we wouldn't understand one bit of Jesus' message. What's the proper understanding of poverty in relation to Christianity? And and what should we as Catholics understand that in contrast to what Bergoglio is saying? Well, it, the traditional interpretation is poverty of spirit, which means that you are not excessively attached to material things. Uh, but that you may own material things and use them uh, the way God wants you to use them, love them to the extent that God wants you to love them. Uh, that That's the church's, the Catholic Church's attitude toward any material thing. The Catholic Church absolutely defends private property and, and the owning of, of uh, material things. Uh, it does not require everyone to lead a life of perfect poverty. As a matter of fact, that was condemned in the Middle Ages. I think it was the Waldensians, too, who, uh, who uh, oh, condemned... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the Waldensians. I think so. It was, uh, it was, um, uh, there was a group, I'm almost positive is the Waldensians, who said that we have to follow the perfect poverty of Christ. That is, we have to take a vow of poverty, otherwise we are not Christians. That was condemned by the Catholic Church. Uh, so, but this is again is a Marxist way of looking at it that we can't really own anything; that everything belongs to everybody. Uh, so we can't own anything, uh, and this is the message of Christ: is that we can't own anything, and the uh, He has come to liberate the poor from the rich. It's all uh, Marxist theology. That's all it is. I mean, it's like a broken record. It's, it's something from decades ago. I mean, it, it's it's like stinking of old age. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he just comes out with it more and more and more, cranks it out, uh, and 
it, it's the same old stuff. Yeah, and and uh, of course he's praised for it by the left because it's the leftist program, and uh, that um, uh, theoretically it's the leftist uh, program. Uh, in the uh, in the real order, of course, we you, you know you have the phenomenon of the limousine liberals, but it's a um, you know it's it's it's, um, uh, it's more of the same. It's a canonizing of the um, the leftist program. I looked up, in fact, the uh, Waldensians, and founded by uh, Peter Waldell. Whereas Waldo and his, uh, uh, they say that uh, the, the numerous other designations were applied to them for their profession of extreme poverty. Uh, they uh, answered to the name of the poor, or the poor men of of uh, Lyon, and that is, uh, uh, Your Excellency, you in fact are, uh, in fact, you're correct on that. Oh, okay, yes, I'm pretty good on heresies. Uh, I always say to well, people, you're not too bad me, on your truths either. So, you know. <laughs> people ask me about devotions. You know, what about you know? Somebody asked me the other day, is there a Saint Valentine Day or Saint Valentine Novena? And I said, why do you want a Saint Valentine Novena? Well, I guess he's a young man looking at it, you know, interested in a young lady. So I said, I don't know of any Saint Valentine Novena. <laughs> and, <laughs> But in any case, and everybody and anybody asking about devotions, I say that's Bishop Dolan. You have to get in touch with Bishop Dolan because <laughs> even when I read those things, they go out. I mean, an hour later, I cannot remember what the devotion is, and and but yet heresies stick in my mind. <laughs> they, they uh, you know. So I, I say to people, uh, we run sort of a department store. I'm in condemnations. And Bishop Dolan is in devotion, so you, you know, we're both behind a, a counter. Each are our own counter. If you want a condemnation, come to me, and I'll give you a condemnation. Uh, if that's you want probably the in the devotion, that's probably in the basement, Your Excellency. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's not that doesn't have that much lighting, whereas devotions is probably a well lit sunroom. <laughs> whereas I think I handle the humor department. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, in any event, yeah, in fact, uh, you know, you are correct on that. And, of course, it's it's uh, hilariously ironic because uh, he will also see further on in the show that he went to visit the Waldensians uh, yes. uh, this time amongst his uh, his uh, ecumenical activities. So Yes, and kiss their Bible. Uh, kiss their Protestant yeah. Bible with a preface by Calvin. Really? Yeah, it has a preface by Calvin in it, and so that got kissed by the Bergoglio lips. Well, we have our we have our Koran kissing moment, I suppose. Then <laughs> the, the yeah, it's on the internet. You know, the, in fact, I saw a picture of that. I didn't realize it has a uh, it had a preface by uh, uh, by Calvin. Yes. But um that was really inter- small potatoes in comparison to kissing the Koran. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh you're right. Um but not the, that he would hesitate to do it. The interesting thing is is in the account of um the, the visit to the Waldensians, uh the 
same themes came up. I recall that uh, came up in 1999 in Father Ricosa's article uh, about um, uh, Ratzinger's dialogue with the Waldensians. Mm-hmm. That uh, his article was it called 90, uh, Ratzinger 99% Protestant." Yes, uh, and it's it's amazing the same themes came up. We don't know too much about the Waldensians here because you know there there are no Waldensians that I know of in the United States. But there's only um, thirty thousand worldwide. Really? So it's a small yeah. it's a small outfit, but it's yes. very visible to the Italians and, and the people in Italy because you know they they are Italians. So you, if you look at some of the um, uh, uh, words that were spoken um, uh, by Bergoglio at this uh, uh, particular meeting, uh, he said, um, one of the main fruits of the ecumenical movement has made it possible to gather over the years, that has made it possible to gather over the years, is the rediscovery of a fraternity that unites all believers of Jesus Christ. Uh, this bond is not based on human criteria alone, but on the radical sharing of the fundamental experience of Christian life, encountering the love of God who manifests himself through Jesus Christ and the transforming action of the Holy Spirit who helps us along in this journey of life. Uh, rediscovering this fraternity allows us to appreciate the strong bond that already unites us despite our differences. And then he says that uh, the uh, unity, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean uniformity. I remember Ratzinger saying that. Indeed, Mm. brothers and sisters share the same origins, but they are not identical among themselves. This is very clear in the New Testament, where despite the fact that all those who shared in the same faith in Jesus Christ were called brothers and sisters, one realizes that not all Christian communities they were a part of had the same style or internal organization. Within the same community, you could glimpse different charisms, uh, uh, and there were differences and sometimes even clashes in the announcement of the gospel. I mean, what more do you need for apostasy? Mm. Yes, I think some of that is condemned, too, by uh, Pius X. Yeah. Some of that early church stuff. Um, Yeah. I think in Lamentabili, see here I go with the (laughs) the condemnation. Uh, There you go. uh, But denying that the... Um, that the early church had a, a papal and episcopal structure, uh, and is certainly heresy. That that is something that evolved in the Middle Ages. Uh, you know, that's a typical modernist uh, thought that that you know in the early church it was all just uh, individual communities, and you know they fought uh, amongst one another. They all had Bibles too. They had Bibles uh, in their hands, and their preachers were telling them to open their Bibles. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that's that was the early church, and then gradually the church became corrupt with, you know, with the papacy, and then uh, that, that's all standard Protestant rot. Uh, the uh, you know the Protestants have been saying that for years that you know the papacy evolved and all this, and and uh, it, it's uh, it's the way of trying to justify themselves, trying to show that they in fact did exist, that there were Bible readers in the early church and that Protestantism restored Bible reading, uh, you know, and, and free thinking as, uh, as, you know, true Christianity. All of this is so old. Uh, as I said, uh, on another show, it's like moldy old stuff in the refrigerator. 
It's yeah. so old, and and it stinks. It's so old, <laughs> and they repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And they keep uh, on serving it up. Um, yes, <laughs> like uh, uh, the um, uh, other thing that in, in here. Uh, you know, I mean, the sty- that it's just a question of style or internal organization, that we're all one, uh, et cetera. And um, uh, there is, uh, let's see, uh, that apparently, uh, I would like to recall the ecumenical exchange of gifts at Easter in uh, Pinerolo near Turin between the Waldensian Church in Pinerolo and the diocese. The Waldensian Church offered Catholics wine for the celebration of the Easter Vigil, and the Catholic Diocese offered its Waldensian brothers and sisters the bread for the Holy Supper uh, on Easter Sunday. Mm, it's touching. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the uh, it's so crazy. It's almost it's like uh, uh, inconceivable. That's mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, almost beyond parody, but uh, that's what it's you all have very with... consistent with modernism, though. Of course, yeah, because it doesn't make any difference what you believe. Yeah, it's all yeah. The, uh, the object of faith is not dogma. The object of faith is this this God experience inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's that's the object of faith. So then, obviously, all religions have a certain value. And, uh, so there, everything's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we need to use the proper term, Your Excellency. It's called encounter, and, and you yeah. need you need to use that that proper term. Yeah. Um, not just the Waldensians are getting love, Father Chicada, but but John Huss. Yes, good old John Huss. Well, he was he was uh, referred to as a, a reformer of the church at this point, which is a promotion from having been burned at the stake. Um, <laughs> about the best rehabilitation you could get. Yeah, that was uh, um, uh, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, so uh, the but again, all of these things are just taking place in a month. You know that you have the Waldensians are uh, the, that uh, they're all just fine. Uh, John Huss and all of his heresies that uh, you know uh, one has to apologize for the uh, execution of, of uh, Huss. I mean, he didn't believe in transubstantiation or the hierarchy or indulgences or confession or extremunction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, the, the um, yeah the idea that the church was composed only of of the predestined and whatever sacraments you had uh these uh, benefited only the uh uh predestined and if you're predestined by the way uh the other perk of predestination was that uh, sins could do no harm to you so uh you know once you had your predestination um uh, bus card stamped uh <laughs> y- you would uh <laughs> you could you you would ride right into heaven, you know. It's like those machines in the Paris uh, railway stations where you have to put in your ticket for, you know, you get that stamp and then you're all right. Yeah, uh, uh, you're all right. Maybe that's how the buses that Bergoglio rode in Argentina, maybe that's how they worked. That, uh, you know, you moved your predestined end. So, so it, it's all of this stuff 
Uh, and, you know, you uh, refer to the guy as a reformer and you want to rehabilitate him. Well, you know, I, uh, more crazy Vatican too. Yes, and we, we'll wait for Wycliffe, or uh, Wycliffe, as they say, or either one, but uh, he'll be rehabilitated too. He was condemned at a certain point. But the big one is going to be Luther in two years. Oh, yeah, that's right. He might be canonized in two years. Uh, there's a few embarrassing you know, things that he said. <laughs> it's several volumes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, that that will be a, a big year, I think. It's you know it's many anniversaries. It's the anniversary of the Reformation, the anniversary of the founding of Freemasonry, the anniversary of the Russian Revolution, and the anniversary of Fatima. Huh. Four yeah. big anniversaries occur in 2017. Amazing. So. Um, Oh uh, yeah, that ought to be interesting. But there's you could just imagine the work up for Luther. They're probably planning it already. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but I mean, if uh, it seems that they can manage to whitewash just about anybody. Yes. So, uh, yes. The, well, remember what they did to Rosmini. Rosmini got all sanitized too. Yeah, that's right. That. Um, uh, maybe we should explain that for people that uh, your excellency give them yes, the background. Yes, that he was um well he was an ontologist that is uh he believed that everyone has a direct knowledge of God in his mind. Uh that uh, you have a, a direct contact with God in your mind. Uh that was condemned. He was also a liberal um uh, he he was calling for a reformed catholicism as all of the liberals were in the 19th century uh, you know it, it needs to be transformed and uh he was um very much in in contact with all of the liberals of his time uh so uh he was um yeah he he received a uh, a condemnation under Pius IX uh excuse me already i think his books were placed on the index by Pius IX and then there was a condemnation by Leo the Thirteenth later on of his of statements in his in his book. So the, then the Ratzinger tried to rehabilitate him, right? Yes, because he said we understand better now. Yeah, that was the reasoning. See, the the theologians who you know condemned it didn't understand, but now we understand. So that's the historicization of it. Yes. You know, everything, uh, historical context. And was that the substantial anchorages document? Or were uh, I think so. I, yes, I do. I think that's when that came up, uh, that, you know, the, you know, the cruise ship business. Not yeah. that he used cruise ship, but, I mean, that, that's the perfect example. Well, if we Hopefully the we... people don't get sick on it. Well, if we want to cruise from the Waldensians and Hush to Syria, there's also some comments that he made about the Syriac Orthodox Patriarch, Father Chikata. Yes, indeed. Okay, so the Schismatic Syriac Orthodox Patriarch, it seems, um, uh, presides over a, um, or presided over, and he just died recently, a Church of Martyrs uh, that... uh, uh, let us ask the Lord uh, the grace to be willing to forgive the blood of martyrs, Bergoglio says, is the seed of the unity of the church. 
and the tool for the edification of the kingdom of God, which is uh, the kingdom of uh, peace and justice. So mm-hmm. again, those outside the church who die for a schismatic, for the sake of a, a schismatic religion, uh, that they are true martyrs somehow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you want to uh, explain that one for us, Your Excellency? <laughs> Well, it is a, a most explicit heresy because it contradicts the solemn magisterium of the Catholic Church. We declare and define in, in various other languages indicating solemn magisterium in the Council of Florence from the 15th century. So you could not get a more explicit heresy than to say that. Uh, the Council said even if you shed your uh, blood... Uh, if you are not a member of the Catholic Church, you, you, you shed your blood for the name of Christ, and you're not a member of the Catholic Church, you you do not save your soul thereby. Uh, so, um, uh, so there's no baptism of blood, no martyrdom, uh, because the, you cannot be attached to Christ unless you are attached to His Church. This Church is His body. The mystical body of Christ. It, 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 how can you be attached to Christ if you are not attached to His Church? So, even if you believe certain truths of the Catholic faith, the fact that you are not attached to His body means that you cannot be attached to Him in the in the next life. You 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 have to be uh, uh, you have to be in some way attached to the Catholic Church in order to achieve eternal salvation. Uh, otherwise, it's 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 actually physically impossible. It, it's like uh, crossing water when there's no bridge. Uh, it it just can't be done. And uh, uh, this, of course, is the the recurring theme with Bergoglio. He said this several times. So this, it's it's uh, in a way, it's of course, it's not surprising that he would uh, uh, he would say it at this juncture with the Syriac uh, Orthodox Patriarch. And, and uh, in effect, uh, canonize uh, their church as well. It all goes back to there is no dogma. There is no dogma. And, and the object of faith is not dogma. And therefore, the church is not defined by a, a set of dogmas. It's, it's, it's not uh, you know, the walls of the church, so to speak, uh, do not consist of dogmas. They consist of having an experience of God the encounter with God, well, you know, that's just about everybody. Even the atheists have a shot at it. Uh, you saw that, too, that he uh, said to the atheists, uh, you know, say a prayer for me. No, he said to the journalists, say a prayer for me, but if you're an atheist, then uh, give me some good vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um uh, Father, uh, one of the Argentinian priests told me that that's a very popular expression in Argentina. Like, give me good vibes, essentially. Oh, really? Uh, yes, uh, it's ondas in in uh, Ar- in Argentina, good waves, and it, it's basically the same as good vibes. Uh, you know, it's a very popular expression. You would not use it. He says it's not vulgar, but it, it's low. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the same thing in uh, Mexican. It's like uh, uh, they say sort of what's happening is something like que onda, and, uh, you know, what's the uh, vibration or the wave, I guess. Yeah, that's the uh, the idea. Well, certainly exalted 
uh, pontifical language there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we want to uh, obey Francis's admonition to not be pseudo-pastors who talk too much, it might be a good time for us to wrap up this episode. But before we do, Father, can you tell us a little bit about this, uh, this new condemnation? Oh, the, about the pastors who talk too much. That, that's yes. absolutely hilarious. Uh, the, uh, that's one of his, in a uh, uh, um, uh, homily at uh, uh, the St. Saint, Saint Martha House, he talked about pastors who do not listen and who just simply talk at uh, talk at people, and he accused them of all things of being worldly. Now, I mean, even if if you accept the goofy premise, uh, the initial goofy goofy premise, I can't see how that's being worldly. But uh, in other words, um, you know, instead of saying uh, who is he to uh, judge, we could say, well, who is he to talk? Because he says the first thing that uh, uh, comes into his head, uh, whenever he gets a little bit off of uh, off of message, mm-hmm. so, so that it, it's just another uh, example of his empty-headed uh, empty-headed remarks. Saint Francis de Sales said that the sermon should not less, last any less than thirty minutes. Really? Uh, yes, uh, uh, he said at least thirty minutes. Well, they're not very Salesian up at St. Gertrude's, I'll tell you, your expertise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, uh, I'm I sure that Bishop Dolan has some saint that he could quote for ten minutes. <laughs> well, I, I have my uh, English teacher, Father Stapleton, who said that uh, the general principle for sermons is be bright, be brief, and be gone. And uh, if you can't be bright, at least be brief and be gone. <laughs> so, uh, but the idea of of um, yakking too much and running at the mouth is a. I mean, that's an old theme in uh, uh, spiritual writers, and of the, of the danger that uh, that leads to, and the the idleness and the stupidity it leads to. And St. Benedict in his rule says that non in multiloquis evitiator peccata, evitiator peccata, that in, in much speaking, uh, you know, the, the uh, sins cannot be avoided. And that's the, um, uh, uh, that certainly is uh, a good principle to keep in, uh, to keep in mind, uh, especially and, when it comes to modernists. And these modernists, I mean, look at the documents of Vatican II. I mean, it is, it is a, a a gas bagging. That's the only proper word for it. They go on and on and on. I mean, you know, the document on com- modern communications. You know, just talk, 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 and look at John Paul II's documents. Those those those, the, those foggy, incomprehensible, long-winded uh, encyclicals that he's got. And Ratzinger's encyclicals. Remember that that thirty-six thousand word encyclical. <laughs> I mean, they just talk and talk and talk. Uh, and and look at uh, the Bergoglio's uh, encyclical on the the ecology. I mean, mm-hmm. how, what? How many thousands of words is that? Forty. 40. Yeah, forty thousand words that he he can't. He takes forty thousand words to say that that we you know should uh, make sure that we don't throw out our batteries. 
we, we were wondering, you know, in, in moral theology, if he would give like a a guide to, you know, whether it's always a mortal sin to throw out a battery or whether it could sometimes be a venial sin. <laughs> like if it's a real little battery. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, well, I, well, on that note, I think we better learn to keep silence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I was going to say, uh, uh, you might appreciate Novus Ordo's commentary on this was that uh, if hypocrisy could prolong your life, Francis would be immortal. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and lest we be hypocrites, it's time to bring an end to, to, uh, to this month's episode. Father Chicada, what's happening at St. Gertrude's, and, and what are you doing now that the seminary year is over? Well, what I'm doing is doing a lot of shows for true restoration, <laughs> <laughs> like this one. And I, I think tell you, they're real, they're real slave drivers over there. Oh, they're, they're, they're absolutely terrible. It's that, that German who runs it. Uh, so we've got a. So I've been actually doing a lot of uh, a lot of these shows, uh, which are great. Catching up on uh, different projects, and I finally put the finishing touches on uh, a film uh, a video called "Stuck in a Rut: uh, Anti-Sativacantism in the Era of Bergoglio." And that deals with the different critiques of sativacantism that uh, outfits like the uh, remnant Catholic Family News, Bishop Williamson, uh, his followers, and the Society of St. Pius X have come out with since the, uh, uh, since the advent of Bergoglio. So you can find uh, that video on YouTube on the Work of Human Hands uh, channel, or by Googling my name and stuck in a rut, and you will see the, uh, uh, you'll see the, the video in my, my comments on uh, uh, this, the anti of accountants in our era. So what, what's the reaction been, Father? Have you gotten any traction, or are people still stuck in a rut? Uh, <laughs> well, I have gotten a lot of favorable um, uh, favorable emails and, and reactions. I think what I said did uh, make an impression, uh, and a uh, only a few people though so far. Now I've had uh, nearly three thousand views, and only a few people so far were attuned enough musically to uh, catch the fact that the parade of cardinals uh, in uh, at one point in the video was uh, accompanied by an organ version of "Send in the Clowns." <laughs> but uh, I, I guess we could we would offer a special prize for that. Uh, by the way, I, uh, there was there's a, an independent priest I know uh, who will re, who will remain remain nameless, but right. um, uh, but you know who, who is of our position. Uh, he said uh, when he looked at your video, he said he nailed them. Huh? Huh? That was yes. Uh, uh, Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, so, you, have you seen the, Have you seen this video? Uh, yes, I saw it. Yes. yes. You know my my favorite part. Uh, my favorite part is the jury of twelve chicadas. Oh, uh, that's so funny! Uh, I, I I thought the caption for that could be twelve angry men. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've got to thank the people at Nova's Order Watch for coming up with that Photoshop for me. That was terrific. <laughs> Pictures are very funny. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, so we've heard from Father Chicago. What are What are you going to do with yourself? Other than we know that that uh, Restoration Radio will make you record some shows. 
Yes, uh, I've done quite a few in the past few days. Uh, yeah, you wake up in the morning and you think, what show do I have today? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like, oh, am I missing a show? Uh, the uh, you know the, these these uh, chills come over you. Uh, I missed one the other day, as a matter of fact. Uh, that's the second time I missed. I mean, you almost have to give me alarms and you know all sorts of electronic ways of of waking me up or or in some way alerting me to to a show because I get so mixed up between all the stuff I have to do. I mean, I just. So anyway, we got that one done, though. Uh, that was with Matt Gaskin. And by the way, Matt Gaskin did a wonderful job of interviewing. He's he's a, a natural interviewer, so I just uh, you know want to tell you that. Uh, so, um, yeah, we got all of that done. Uh, and uh, we got uh, the catechism done with Jason. And uh, something else I did. Uh, I did something with you. Yes, that's right. So uh, I think I'm done for June. I think so, but <laughs> you better. You better. Well, we've got, only got, got a few more days. <laughs> you've got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got uh, the first part of Rerum Navarum for Popes Against the Modern Eras, and the show that His Excellency is talking about with Matt Gaskin is the anti-modernist reader. Uh, His Excellency is taking over this month for, for from Father Chicada because uh, each, as much as possible, we're going to have the clergy who wrote the article do that episode and the. Uh, Article in question is Resistance and Indefectibility by His Excellency. You wrote that. You wrote that some time ago. Let's see. And, 1991. Uh, I wrote that back in the Stone Ages. And yes. uh, that that is the show that you can look forward to. So if you're uh, the wondering what what show Matt Gaskin is doing with His Excellency, it's the this month's anti-modernist reader. It'll be out in the next few days. Uh, from the time of this recording, it may even come out before. He uh, apologized so, in advance for his limitations as an interviewer, but it was very good. I, I often tell people that uh, you, if you've if you've done the research behind an article, uh, then it makes it easier to work through work through it with the subject. and And I think that's maybe one of the most important articles you've ever written, Your Excellency. So I would recommend to listeners before you um, listen to the episode, go ahead, go to traditionalmass.org and find that article by His Excellency and give it a read so that you'll get more out of the show. And The name of uh, it is Resistance and Indefectibility. That's the name of it. Indeed. Well, Your Excellency and Father, I'm going to let you go, and uh, thank you for yet a, another informative and difficult episode of Francis Watch, uh, You uh, and uh, particularly Father Chicada for reading the recyclical for us. We appreciate that. <laughs> And we will see you next month when you aren't recording other shows for Restoration Radio. All right. Yeah, great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. If you have any questions for His Excellency or Father, please remember that you can write to us here, FrancisWatch at TrueRestoration.org, and we will pass along your comments or questions to His Excellency and Father. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember the above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time that you pray. 
For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.